Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, found on page 982 of your Pew Bibles. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, just on a personal note, Kathy and I want to thank you for the warm hospitality and uh, friendship that you have extended to us uh, during our weeks here. You are perhaps the friendliest congregation uh, we have ever had the pleasure and privilege of worshiping with. So you've made these weeks a joy, and we assure you that we will be praying for you uh, during these next weeks and months as some exciting and momentous things will be happening in your congregation. Uh, we're going to study verses 2 to 13, but I'm going to begin with verse 1, as it actually is a transitional verse from the passage we studied last week. Listen carefully. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that Your Spirit would in these brief moments work by and with your word to renew our strength, to illumine our minds, to convict our hearts that we might know you better and we might trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
It was mid-afternoon, and I was flying down the John Muir Trail in California. Uh, We were halfway through a two-week, 135-mile projected section hike of the southern half of that great long-distance trail. That morning, we had crested over Pincho Peak at 12,000 feet. We were working our way down the river uh, drainage down to a place called Woods Creek. And it was after lunch, and we had sort of gotten spread out. And because we were a day away from resupply, my pack was practically empty. So I was flying. But as usual, I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And so it probably shouldn't have come as a surprise that when I stepped on a rock with my right foot, I tripped. And the momentum and the weight of my pack carried me over. And I would have been okay except that my left foot caught into a crevice in the rock. And I felt my shoulders go one direction and my knee go the other direction, and I heard a wrenching sound, and I knew I was in trouble. At first, I thought I'd blown out my knee, but thankfully, that still worked. But I had wrecked my ankle. So I pulled out of my pack a handy ace ankle brace carried for just such an eventuality, put it on, and hobbled two and a half miles down to the rendezvous point. By that time, the swelling made it clear that there was no way on earth I was going to be able to finish the hike with the rest of the team. The speed at which they had to go in order to finish on time uh, within the permit that we had meant that I needed to send them on, spend the night alone at the creek, and the next morning hike the 16 and a half miles out to a place called Rhodes End in Kings Canyon. So that's what we did. They went on. I spent the night And the next day, at dawn, I began to make my way out of the high country. After three hours, I had made it exactly two and a half miles. And I was sitting in the middle of a creek on a rock, uh, soaking my ankle, praying a very non-theologian's prayer. It went something like this, Dear Lord, I'm in trouble. And in fact, I was in worse trouble than I knew. My ankle wasn't sprained, it was broken. It would take surgery and a steel plate and six screws to put it back together again. I didn't know that then. I just knew I needed help. So I said, dear Lord, I'm in trouble. Please show up. Have you ever felt like that? Like you needed God to show up in your life? Uh, Maybe it wasn't a broken ankle. Maybe it was a broken family relationship that for the life of you, you cannot begin to to think of how to put it back together. Maybe it was a broken heart through the loss of a loved one or a series of cumulative losses that have overwhelmed you with grief. Maybe it is the insecurity of living in a world that seems to have gone crazy. The events of this past week, tragic in the extreme, reminding us how fragile our hold on life is and how fundamentally insecure we are in this world. Sometimes those kinds of anxieties can overwhelm us and steal our joy and worse yet, steal our faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul understood loss and he understood anxiety. If you read the list of things he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he was shipwrecked, he was flogged, he was stoned and left for dead. He was often in hunger, he was often in want. He was forever under threat. 
And yet Paul, at the end of this letter to the the beloved congregation at Philippi, says, listen, I want you to understand that because of Jesus Christ who strengthens me, I can face any situation. And he talks about three particular ones here. Conflict and controversy, cares and concerns, and changing circumstances. And Paul says, in all of these, I'm anxious for nothing because of Jesus Christ. Beloved in the Lord, I think this morning, as we try to get a grip on the events of our world, that the Apostle Paul can point us in the right direction. First of all, anxious for nothing in the midst of conflict and controversy. In verses 2 and 3, Paul does something extraordinary. He addresses two members of the congregation by name. Paul never does that in his letters. And so what it signals to us is that something big is happening in the church at Philippi. These two women, leaders in the church, we don't know their roles. We remember in Luke 16 that Luke reminds us that this church began with a group of women that were praying together down by the river. And Yodia and Syntyche had some sort of role within this congregation, and they had reached an impasse. No, we're not talking about a petty squabble over personal differences. This was a disagreement about how to advance the gospel in this community, in this day and age in which they were placed. They were in agreement on the goal that Jesus should be lifted up and magnified. What they couldn't agree on is how to get it done. And their disagreement was beginning to fracture the unity of the body of Christ at Philippi. And Paul says to them, beloved sisters, I entreat you, I urge you, I beg you, be united in the Lord, agree in the Lord, be like-minded, literally, in the Lord. You're united to Him by His Spirit. You are one with His body. And then he he calls out and says, and you, true companion, or literally yoke fellow, in the old King James. Um, We don't know exactly who this is. He doesn't name him. Gordon Fee thinks that it's probably Luke. I think that's a very good estimation. Help these sisters sort this out. Together with Clement, again, unknown to us, and the other fellow laborers in the church at Philippi. In other words, come together as the people of God. Work this out. Have you ever experienced conflict in the body of Christ? John Ortberg wrote a wonderful book, which I mean to read someday, but I'm in love with the title. He said, everyone's normal until you get to know them. Isn't that true in the church of Jesus Christ? Wherever I have been, there has been conflict and controversy in the church. We are broken, fallible, dysfunctional human beings. We have different personalities. We have different work preferences. We have different methodologies that we prefer. And what happens is that when we get united on a goal, sometimes the desire to control comes out at least in my life, maybe in yours, and conflict arises. 
conflict in the church is not by itself destructive. It's not the emergence of disagreement. It's how do we deal with it? Uh, Some of us are turtles. We withdraw and avoid, wait for the storm to pass. That works part of the time. Some of us are sharks. We go for the kill, win-lose, and we intend to win. Some of us maybe are owls, and we try to mediate a resolution. And that's what Paul encourages here. Come together in the Lord. Work this out. When officers, and you're getting ready to nominate officers even as we speak, uh, take their ordination vows, they promise to study the peace and the purity of the church. John Frame wrote that wonderful article about Machen's warrior childrens. We who were born in battle as a denomination are very good at contending for the purity of the church, but we need to be at least as committed to the peace and unity of the church. Be willing, as my wife reminds me, to look into the mirror and say, I could be wrong. Do it several times a day. And when there is controversy, when there is conflict, don't withdraw, don't move away, move towards each other. And if you can't sort it out, get a brother or sister to help. Teamwork requires intentionality. It did in Philippi. It does at Covenant Presbyterian Church as well. When our team was getting ready to go to Dar es Salaam, we had some team-building exercises. Uh, in fact, we met at Lookout Presbyterian Church up on the mountain. The consulting psychologist from Mission to the World uh, came up and met with us. And after a morning's teaching on team-building, he gave us an assignment. He gave us a Lego set. It was the hospital, if you're familiar with that one, and said, you have 30 minutes, put it together. So the six of us, three couples, set to work. Well, two of us, both men, uh, decided that we didn't need any directions. We looked at the picture on the, the cover of the box, and we went to work putting it together. Uh, this so disturbed one of the men's wives that she took the parts for the ambulance and went over in a corner and began to quietly work on that by herself. Uh, the other two women on the team had the directions out and were arranging the bricks into piles so that we could do this in an orderly fashion and actually accomplish the task. And our, our team leader was trying to arrange the lighting so that we could work to best advantage. At the end of 30 minutes, the psychologist came back, and there we were with a completed ambulance and a pile of bricks. And he smiled and said, you guys better work on this. You see, more missionaries leave the field because they can't get along than for any other reason. And more people leave the church of Jesus Christ because they can't get along as well. Paul says, beloved in the Lord, you are one in Christ. You'll be together forever. So live like it. Move towards one another. No anxiety and conflict. But secondly, he says, in the midst of cares and concerns, in the midst of anxiety, be anxious for nothing. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Isn't it amazing? Paul's going to talk about anxiety, and instead he talks about joy. 
But he has a purpose in mind. If our past sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, praise God. And if our future prospects are glorious in the extreme, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever begun to conceive what God has planned for us. And if in the present we have both the Spirit of God and the body of Christ, we need to rejoice in every situation that confronts us. Let your reasonableness, the ESV says, some of the other English versions say, your gentleness, your forbearance, be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. In the original, it's the Lord is near. And I think Paul is thinking of that psalm that we were reading earlier this morning in the worship service. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He hears their cry and saves them. Paul says, the Lord is near to you. Cry out to him. And, or maybe he's thinking of Zephaniah 1.7. The day of the Lord is near. Eschatologically, we are part of a new creation. There is a, a purpose and plan of God that is at work beyond our comprehension. So rejoice. Be gentle with each other. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Paul is not giving us here a formulaic way to deal with anxiety. He's, he's talking about an attitudinal position before the Lord. Uh, Chuck Swindoll put it wonderfully this way. He said, worry about nothing, pray about everything. To pray is to acknowledge that God is who he says he is. To worry is to be practical atheist. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about a physiologically, physiologically induced kind of anxiety which is rooted in brain chemistry. For that, one needs both a compassionate counselor and a competent physician. But I'm talking about our human tendency to act as if we are in control and we're on our own. Kelly Capick wrote a, a wonderful article, which you can find on the Reformation 21 blog, called Beyond Personal Peace to Kingdom Peace. He said, anxiety arises when we live under the illusion that we are in control, that we fully understand what is wrong and how to fix everything. We grow anxious when we are certain our way is the right way, and all must follow it. When you and I are under the illusion or delusion that we're in control and God is not, then we act as if he doesn't exist. Paul says, assume an attitude of prayer. Take everything to your heavenly Father. If you will do that, then this promise, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds or your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Peace in the New Testament is fundamentally identified with shalom in the Old Testament. And, and those of you that are familiar with that Hebraic understanding of shalom, it's not just the absence of conflict. 
It is the restoration of wholeness that the Lord longs to see. And so Paul says, be anxious in no circumstance, but instead in every circumstance, open your heart to God and experience that peace which only he can give. And then he says, transform your minds. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What shapes our hearts? Are we shaped by the Word of God and the promises of Scripture? All the promises of God which are yes and amen in Christ, Paul says. Or are we shaped by the mindset of this world? Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind so that you will then be able to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. James Montgomery Boyce once put it this way. He said, is it good, pleasing, and perfect for God? Well, of course. But the point of it is that it's good, pleasing, and perfect for us as well. I don't pretend to understand all the things that you face or to know why God is allowing them to come into your life. I do know this. Job battled in the face of things he could not possibly understand, being caught up in a larger cosmic battle for the kingdom of God that he was never told about, but he trusted in the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, Job could confess. Cannot we who have seen the love of God poured out in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, not trust that in the circumstances that confront us, God is working everything out for his glory and ultimately for our good. Paul says you need to focus on the promises of God. You need to focus on the providence of God who alone is in control of your circumstances and turn from fear to faith. And then the God of peace will be with you not apart from your circumstances, but in the midst of them. It's not just a promise of psychological peace at a personal level. Dr. Caput goes on to say, this is why the peace of Christ and his kingdom cannot simply be about individualized personal peace. This peace is cruciform, always responding, responding, responding out of the love received from God himself. It comes about uh, through the physically and emotionally wounded. It cares about the vulnerable. It cares about the other. It cares because God cares. And Kelly says, this peace can not only heal broken hearts. It can heal broken congregations and broken communities through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will we move from fear to faith amidst our anxieties this morning? Will we turn from acting as if God is not who he says he is and that he is not there to prayerfully committing all things to him? John Piper, when he was leaving for Germany at the age of 25 in 1971, was at the airport in New York City with his wife, Noelle. He was a little bit terrified, he said, of what they were going to face doing doctoral studies in a German university. 
And he called his father before they got on the plane, and his dad gave him Isaiah 41.10. If you have your Bibles, please turn there for just a moment. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And John Piper said that that verse became something he repeated over and over again, first in English and then eventually as he learned German and German. And it became so reflexive for him to say that verse in times of anxiety that he said, when my mind is in neutral, the whirring of the gears is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, I am with you. The Apostle Paul would have said, Amen. That's true. Anxious for nothing, whether in conflict and controversy, whether amidst the cares and concerns that confront us as individuals or as a congregation or as a community, but anxious for nothing in the face of change and changing circumstances. Look at verses 10 to 13. Paul is talking in the context of thanking them for their gift. He says, I, I want to thank you for the gift you sent through Epaphroditus, uh, but I'm really more grateful for the fact that you are evidencing your commitment to me because he says, I'm never really in need. Or rather, whatever my circumstances, I have learned to be content. Now, I, I don't know if I should say this when Tom Schreiner is here, senior staff at Covenant College, but I have to go to training on Tuesday uh, to learn some new technology programs, something about Google Docs, Drive, I don't know, um, a learning platform called Canvas. I have no idea what it's for, but we're going to start using them in about 10 days, and I have to be trained. Now, you need to understand, I graduated law school in 1979. Uh, we used IBM Selectrics and carbon paper if we wanted to make copies of things. Uh, legal pads were long and yellow. There were no cell phones. There was no voicemail. There were no fax machines or email. Life was good. <laughs> and then it changed. And it's been changing ever since. The only thing you can be certain about when it comes to change is that things will keep changing. You and I have no control over that. But what we do have control over, Paul says, is our attitude and heart response. And so my wife has been saying, honey, you may learn something that will change your life. Be optimistic. Be open-hearted. But I can't do it on my own, you see. I need the Lord to change my mind, my heart, to be content in every circumstance. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To you Greek scholars out there, yes, I know. I'm following the majority text in the King James translators. But that's what Paul's talking about. Through Christ, Paul says, he can face any change in his circumstances. 
Do you have change in your life this morning? Maybe you have a son or a daughter going off to college and you're going to become empty nesters. That's a big change. Maybe you just had a baby. That's an enormous change. Maybe you have just taken a new job. Maybe you've just left an old job. Maybe you've retired and you're not sure what that is going to look like. Maybe you're looking at your congregation getting ready to welcome a a new senior pastor and his wife and wondering what kind of changes is that going to bring. Whatever the circumstance, Paul says we are called upon not just to survive, not just to tolerate, but to thrive in contentment because we are confident in Christ. You see, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has done what the word of God proclaims, he died on the cross that we might not have to pay the penalty of sin. He was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and is reigning over all things and he is coming back as king of kings, lord of lords, to defeat his and our enemies. Then how can we not be content? How can we not be at peace? A peace that passes understanding. That day on the trail, I prayed, Lord, please show up. And after I said amen, I raised my head. I'm not making this up. There was a ranger with a pack train coming down the trail with a spare horse and saddle. Cindy came over. She was a backcountry ranger who had been resupplying work teams up in the high country. Uh, She checked out my ankle. We agreed that I probably wasn't going to be walking 16 miles that day. Uh, Because I had, in the Lord's providence, learned to ride horseback at Honey Rock Camp when I was 10, the National Park Service agreed to let me ride out of the the high country on red, uh, this spare horse that she had. Now, what you don't know is I had always wanted to do that. It's just frightfully expensive, and I'd never had the opportunity. Here I was, riding out of the mountains on this magnificent horse, and at one point, Cindy stopped and turned around. She was at the front of the pack train. I was at the back. She said, don't you look just like John Wayne? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. My ankle was still broken. There was surgery, recovery, physical therapy. It took a year before it was back to anything like normal. But I would not trade that experience for anything. Because as an academic, it's easy to talk about the things of God all the time, but not experience God himself. And in those moments, as I poured out my heart to God and saw him come mighty to save, I learned to trust him more. The hymn writer says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Beloved in the Lord, our prayer for you is that you would trust him more and find him faithful and true. Pray with me. Father God, by the law of averages, there are those this morning who desperately need to feel that peace that passes understanding And Father, there are families that desperately need the peace of your Spirit that can restore broken relationships. And Father, our community is distraught and scared 
and grieving. And we need the peace of your Spirit to still our hearts and to call us afresh to being the men and women who walk worthily of the gospel in this community, holding out the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Father, we can't do this ourselves. So we pray in the matchless name of him through whom we can do all things because he strengthens us. In Jesus' name, amen.